0: EcoHealth, your internet radio.
1: Good morning to everyone, and welcome here on the Road Trip Show with Diedrich. Diedrich, how's things been going with this um, uh, international blockage of traffic uh, to South Africa?
0: Ah, uh, how's it? How's it out? Um. No, no light at the end of the, well, I lied. There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. There's more and more reports are coming through that it was a knee-jerk reaction, that it was a nonsense reaction, that the travel bans actually do nothing and don't work. Yeah. And one or two countries have reopened flights again, but the big ones still not. We still haven't got from from the you know from most of the countries in Europe, from the USA. They guys, those guys, are still shut down. So. Yeah. It's gonna take a little while I think for reality to set in with these guys and realize that the panic reaction is not is not the what's needed. Yeah. Yeah, you're hurting you're hurting millions of people with tourism who are employed in tourism yes. for a couple of infections. And by by all reports at this stage this new variant is not a serious variant. Yeah, know. apparently that's we, what I heard as well. It's we let, let let the doctors decide that one. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the media that blows everything out of proportion. And the media that goes
0: stupid. They hook onto a story. And I saw an interesting one this morning in that somewhere along the line in South Africa, 17,000 positive test results, cases, whatever it was, got dumped into the system like two days or three days before the variant was announced. And it was a backlog. It was a backlog that got dumped into the system. Yeah. And some idiot took that now as an indicator that the new variant was causing the spike. Yes. So yes. Based, based on rubbish and really, really, really bad journalism.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think you can call journalism journalism anymore. <laughs> uh, because it's... Uh, they just... I think they're getting, getting paid to uh, spike the numbers and everything.
0: It's, um, all, it's all built on sensationalism yeah nobody nobody reads stories that that talk about somebody just doing their normal business yeah it's always yeah. got to be something spectacular so oh well oh well
1: let's try and concentrate <laughs> on the positive uh, with the road trip app and the road trip show and uh yeah let's kick it off
0: yeah no, just a couple a couple of interesting ones um Diesel prices and fuel prices, of course, have hit records highs in South Africa this last week. Yeah. And for the first time in forever, we've seen prices over 20 rand a litre. And no, some interesting insane. stuff. It's insane. Some interesting stuff came out of the Pit Stops app last week in that we found the highest price somewhere in the country at 22 rand 90 cents a litre. Wow. Where was that? That was in the free state. and when your base price is 17 rand 80 or 17 rand 90 something i mean that whoever that is that guy's absolutely ripping it yeah and guys again it's holiday time so i'm bringing it in because it's road trip time people are going on holiday schools have closed yes when you're going on holiday watch those fuel prices there are serious unscrupulous individuals out there that are really ripping it and you can get a better bargain and if you look at it in that that one little analysis I did, you got a, you got a 22 rand, 80 or 90, whatever it was. Within a couple of kilometers, you've got a 17 rand something. Yeah. So you're looking at 5 rand a litre difference. Difference, yeah. 5 rand a litre difference. It's now, if you take insane. your SUV and it's almost empty and you're putting in 70 litres.
1: 5 rand makes a difference. 5 rand a
0: litre, 450 bucks a tank. Yeah. That's your lunch it's and your snacks and and knock a half a tank paid for down, down the road somewhere else. It's it's insane. Yeah.
1: So go get the, the, the pit stops yeah.
0: app. So just watch out. But anyway. Yeah. But today we're gonna get back into the actual road tripping stuff. And I thought what we'd do is we'd start tackling the national roads. We've done we've done the N one from Joburg to Cape Town and a couple of the detours and things you can take there. But now I want to start talking about the N two. Now, the N1 is the main road from Cape Town that runs up to Gauteng and eventually hits the border at Bight Bridge. But the N2 is actually our longest numbered road in South Africa. And the N2 is the highway that runs from Cape Town all the way along the coast. It runs through George, Neisner, P.E., Koberga, whatever. I'm I'm still not sure how to pronounce that. Right up the coast, Wild Coast, through Umtata, Durban. Up the north coast, then bends inland just south of Eswatini and ends in Ermelo. Yeah. 2,255 kilometers of N2. Jeez. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) a fat
0: one. (laughs) That's a long one, and it covers an awful lot of stuff. And it's, I've I've, I've driven that entire road, and it it covers so many different things. And it ends in Ermelo. Ermelo is always one of those weird little towns. It's sort of down in the dusty bits of Mpumalanga down there. Yes. And, but it's an interesting one because it's the junction of the N2, the N11, and the N17. Three okay. national roads come together in one point in the little town of Ermelo, which is kind of unique in South Africa. Yeah. The N11 is the one from Ladysmith to Groblesbrug on the, on the Botswana border. And the N17 is from Germiston to Oshook, the border Osh- post with uh, Eswatini, Swaziland. Okay. And all of those meet up at some point at crossroads in Ermelo. In but the N2 starts in the suburb of Mow- Mowbray Mowbray in Cape Town. Oh yes. On the intersection there, just where you hit that little spot which is called Mustard's Mill. Mustard's Mill. Mustard's Mill. It's it was the first privately owned windmill that was allowed to be built in Cape Town and that was built in 1796. Oh wow. That's when the VOC was starting to lose, lose its grip be 1795, only the VOC was allowed to produce food, etc., etc. And this little mill, that's why it's a historical mill. It's the first yeah. privately owned windmill in South Africa. And that's more or less where the N2 um, actually starts. It's, it's, on, it's on the intersection there. I think it's of the M3 in Cape Town, that main road that goes up past the University of Cape Town. Yeah. And Gritteskir Hospital, that's where the N2 mm-hmm. actually starts. There's one or two interesting little spots close by there as well. There's the SS. Mendi Monument, one of a couple of them around South Africa, the SS. Mendi being one of our tragic stories out of um, the First World War, which is a troop ship, and it was the Natal. it was the native I think it was called the native la- the, the Native labor contingent, the NLC, because people of color were not allowed to carry arms. Yeah. And they went across as laborers and backline workers to dig and clean and, and what have you. And their troop ship got hit by another ship in the English Channel and went down with all hands on deck. And uh, there's a couple of memorials dotted around South Africa for the SS Mendi. That's yeah. also pretty close there. Also, just on the corner, there's an Irma Stern Museum, one of our more famous artists. And one... Which is also kind of cool, just off the road there, which is the Mowbray Fountain, beautiful old Victorian historic drinking trough for horses. Oh yeah, and uh, to, to the money for it was donated by the SPCA in uh, 1899
1: already. Oh my word, that they already existed. They already by that existed.
0: Time. In, in the, yeah, wow. I don't think the mistreatment of animals is anything new. Eh? Yeah, yeah. And but what's interesting with it is that that particular fountain had one of the first electric streetlights in Cape Town mounted on top of it.
1: Oh, <laughs> wonderful.
0: <laughs> That's just one of those funny, silly little, little things. But then as you, as you get out on the N2, now the N2 is that highway that skirts down the bottom end of Cape Town International Airport. Yeah. And those people that know Cape Town realize that, you know, you're leaving Cape Town, and you're going through a lot of those informal settlements and yes. sort of the, the, the not-so-nice areas. Yeah. But just off the highway, just before you get to the airport, is a place called the Guguletu Seven Monument. And that was seven anti-apartheid activists who were shot by the police on the third of March in nineteen eighty six during a a protest. Ah. The story the story (laughs) is a little bit vague and it seems that the seven who were shot were the seven who were under investigation by the police which is kind of just a little bit too much of a an, of, an, of, 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 of a coincidence yeah because yeah. <laughs> they formed some kind of cell to work against the old apartheid government yes and that was unveiled already in march 2005 and it's just outside the guguletu police station okay but the, N, the N2 then carries on out past the airport. And then you, you just start seeing glimpses of False Bay. And the first sort of area you hit... Now, the N2, to me, a national road is always a road that shouldn't have, have have traffic lights and stuff on it. You should be able just to drive. But the N2 is a funny one. Because just as you're coming into Somerset West and Strand... Now, Somerset West, Strand and Gordons Bay are all sort of one... They're three separate towns, but they're all sort of kind yeah. of grown, grown together. Yeah. But... The first one that you hit there is a little monument called the Durki Ice Monument. Oh yes, yes. Now Durki Ice. That this particular monument was raised there in 1938 as part of that 100th anniversary for the Great Trek. And, you know, remember all the little towns have got these memorials where they, where they did the recreation of the trek and the ox wagons went all around South Africa. Yeah. And they've got the little tracks in concrete with all the ox hooves and the tracks of the ox wagons. Oh, yes, yes. Outside the, you know, the town hall of all the little towns all over South Africa. But Dirkie Ace is one of those foot-tricker heroes. And his story goes back to... The whole pittratif story, and I remember Petratif had gone down, started negotiating with Dingaan Dingaan, yeah killed him and his whole party, and the very very first punitive expedition against Dingaan um, turned into a bit of a disaster, so the, the, the guy the historians tend not to talk about it so much because it <laughs> didn 't exactly turn out the way that was planned yeah, and it was a, it was a battle at uh, a place called Italeni in the, in, on the 9th of April, 1938, that Pete Ace, one of the foot tracker leaders, and his son Derki were part of this commander that went out to, uh, to go and try, and try and chastise the Zulus. Yes. But uh, they in turn got chastised, and they were retreating, and Pete, Pete Ace wound up with an ass guy in him and, and fell off his horse, mortally wounded. Yeah. And his son, Derki, at 15 years old, turned around to go and protect his father. Yes. Basically a suicide mission. I mean, he had no chance. Yeah. You know, he's sitting with an old muzzle loader, and they've got an impious Zulus coming down at you. Yes. So he turned around to protect his father on a kind of suicide mission. Obviously, they were both killed. Yeah. But he's gone down in history as one of the 4 heroes. At 15 years old, I mean, that's quite a... Yeah, that's... That's, that's kind of a thing yeah. to have done. So there's the the, the Durk Ace Monument is there in, in Somerset West and that monument, like I said, was raised in nineteen thirty eight, the hundred year anniversary of that great trek. And it's actually quite interesting that that monument actually points us due north, due north being sort of the end point of the foot trekkers, and they, they wish to go and get independence and their own in their own republics and stuff, or get away yes. from the British and the English. Yeah. Now, as you're going past, you, you're just starting, out of Cape Town, you've hit the Cape Flats, you're going through all this flat area, you're coming into strand, and now you're starting to hit the beautiful mountain areas. And just a little way off to the north, you've got a beautiful old historic homestead called the Vergelegen Homestead, very close to oh, Somerset yes. West. Now, Vergelegen is... Probably better known as one of our better vineyards and producers of beautiful wines. Our Cape wines are known all over the world. Yeah. And it's the historic homestead of Governor Willem-Adrian van der Stel. Willem-Adrian being the son of Simon van der Stel. Yes. Willem-Adrian being not such a great guy and not one of our shining lights... (laughs) <laughs> of uh, governorship in South Africa, yeah eventually he, he got he basically got replaced because of corruption and mismanagement and stealing funds and stuff, so yeah. but that that homestead is just something else, and you look at how these guys lived you got Kurt Constantia in in Constantia in Cape Town as well, you got Fergeliechen and these kind of homesteads show you how these guys lived i mean it was just it was incredible. Yeah, It was just unbelievable stuff. And that, it's open as a museum. Is it still and
1: functioning as a wine farm?
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Is it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. Our wine industry also got hit heavily by COVID. Yeah. So I can imagine. Again, you know, it's, it's like asking me, are the museums still open? Well, we don't actually really know. Some of them are, yeah. some of them aren't. Some of them are struggling to survive. Some are looking for funds to open up again. You know, And the wine industry got heavily smacked with exports and stuff during yeah, COVID. I can imagine. But, but I would imagine that a wine farm that dates back to the 1700s has got a little bit of reserves to see them through a couple of months of lockdown. Yeah. yeah <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah. But then the end the too, just as you're getting up to Sir Lowry's Pass, just down on the right-hand side, you've got um, Gordon's Bay. Now, an interesting one in Gordon's Bay is up on the mountain... Behind Gordon's Bay, you got a massive anchor with the letters GB on it. Oh, okay. And everybody goes, "Oh, GB, GB, Gordon's Bay, Gordon's Bay." Ah, uh, no, 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 it's not Gordon's <laughs> Bay. It's actually the letters for the South African training ship, the General Boeta. Ah, <laughs> just coincidence that the letters the letters are the same. Yeah. And that that training boat. Had such a checkered history. It was part of the British Navy, It got sold to the South African Defence Force. Then it got moved, and it was a private ship, and it got given back to the Navy, and it did war service. And oh, wow! And <laughs> it eventually got scuttled. Eventually, in was 1947. It got scuttled, and it's now actually a diveable wreck in False Bay. So you can still go see the the training ship. Oh, okay. Uh, General Boeta. But what makes Gordon's Bay kind of special is that it's another. The home of the South African Naval College. Oh, yes. Where yes. The, the officers are trained for the South African Navy. Yeah. So there's a very, very rich naval, naval tradition and naval history in Gordons Bay. And another little interesting spot there is a memorial to Ingrid Jonker. Now, Ingrid Jonker, one of our famous Afrikaans literary figures, she was a fantastic poet. She was born in the Northern Cape came into Cape Town, went to Weinberg Girls High School, and that's when people started realizing this talent that she had for poetry. Yeah. But the interesting part of this is that the daughter was violently anti-government and quite a reactionary. Oh, okay. And her father, Abraham Jonker, was a very, very staunch National Party supporter in the 1950s and 1960s. And as Member of Parliament, Abraham Yonker was actually appointed as the chief censor for the national government. Oh, yeah. So now Uh, Abraham Yonker's got this daughter and the daughter had very well-known affairs and relationships with figures like Andre Brink. Yeah. Andre Brink also being one of those very much vociferous noisy anti-apartheid characters. So, yes. a lot of family drama in there. <laughs> but Ingrid Jonk was one of those voices that couldn't be quieted because she was so good. Yeah. And she won several literary prizes. The Paris Book Handel Literary Award in 1963 for a compendium books called Rook and Anker. And... She used the money to travel. So she went and spread her word of anti-apartheid stuff in Europe, et cetera, okay. et cetera. But yes. unfortunately, um, she actually committed suicide by walking into the ocean oh. in Cape Town Jeez. in in 1965. So, so obviously somewhere that, uh, the, that, that, that massive battle between family and ideology yeah. and poetry but- and father in government and they just got too much. Yeah, no, but a bit, of a tragic story, but it's a, it's a, it's actually a a, a, a very, a very beautiful, beautiful monument. Yeah. To go, to go and have she, a look at. Uh, well, she was born 1933, died in 65, so and she was 30, still, 34, 35 years old, 33 years old. Yeah. Yes. Still very. 30, thirty-two, thirty-two, thirty-three years old. Yeah. Very sad. But then you're. Then the road after going through you've just hit Somerset West, you're now climbing up one of our most spectacular mountain passes, you're going up up the um, Sir Lowry's Pass. Now from from about zero you hit it you hit four hundred and sixty odd meters above sea level at the top of Sir Lowry's Pass. Yeah. Now, that pass has been running already, or a pathway over those mountains was already running in the early 1660s. Now, 1652, Van Riebeck arrives in the Cape. Yeah. By 1664, the first crossing over what was called the Hottentots Holland Mountains. Now, Hottentots Holland, Hottentot being the Dutch word at the time for the Koi people, for yes. the Koisan people. And it was the Hottentots Holland, because Holland was like the paradise and the home. So the home of the Khoi where those names com- come yeah. from, the Hottentots Holland mountains. So they're really, the first recorder crossing was already in 1664. And to give you an idea of the amount of trade that was going over that pass, because Cape Town, in, in effect, is situated in a, in a flat area surrounded by mountains. Yeah. The whole of Cape Town is surrounded by mountains. So you've got to get out of these mountains and over into what's called the Uferberg, the over mountain area. Yeah. That they recorded in 1821 that there are already 4,500 oxwagons per year. Jeez. Crossing just that path. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot of oxwagons. That's a lot of oxwagons. You know, you break that down to per day and you're starting to see. The kind of trade, but the route yeah. was actually so bad that they estimated 20% of the wagons were, were damaged. Yes. Just by having to go over that okay. rough terrain. Yeah, Some of those ox wagon trails are still to be seen if you just go off the road a little bit over the Solaris Pass that's been declared national monuments and stuff. But they started building the new pass in, in uh,
1: 1828.
0: Okay. So it was well, a pass. I mean, it was a, basically a flattened area that, that the ox wagons wouldn't fall over. Yeah. And Jim, Charles Mitchell was the engineer. He used a lot of, of convict labor. It was opened in 1830 and named after Sir Lowry Cole, the governor of the Cape Colony at the time. Yes. So that's where the name Sir, Sir Lowry's Pass comes from. Yes. Okay. And then a couple of times it's been, it's been um, upgraded. In the 1930s it was widened and tarred. 1956 it was further widened. And in 1984 is when the current form of the pass is now a four-lane motor highway that okay. goes straight over the mountain. It's an absolutely spectacular drive. And there's a beautiful view site right on the, on the crest where if you, if you stop and you look out, you get the beautiful view over the whole of False Bay and into Cape Town. Yeah. And often if you stop there, you can see the, the guys doing some paragliding and hang gliding off the edge there. They go running off the edge of a cliff on a little ramp. Oh, and then nice. they disappear. Yeah. yeah.
1: And we talked about uh, Falls Bay in uh, one of the earlier oh, yeah. Yeah, podcasts. Oh,
0: yeah. So go take a listen to But also, to one of my memories of, Fall, of, the, of, that, of that mountain pass is when you get up there, you often find baboons waiting at this viewpoint <laughs> because they know yeah. that the cars are going to stop, the people are excited, they leave the doors open, and the baboons raid the motor cars. Yes. They go in and they grab whatever they can, whether it's food or a camera bag or something. They run into the <laughs> car and they grab what they can. It's exactly the same as Cape Point. Yeah. And I mean, at Cape Point, I've seen it to the extent that baboons have actually removed the window from a car to get into a car. Oh they actually word. pulled the windscreen or the back window off a motor car. That's how strong these things are. <laughs> wow. So we stop with a coach and I warn all the folks about these baboons and I make sure the driver closes the doors, but I'm still keeping an eye on them. Yeah. And I can see one or two baboons are sort of sidling up to the bus and they come and have a look to see what they, <laughs> what they can do. And close to the bus is one of those concrete dustbins. Yeah, those big, yes, round yes. concrete dustbins where you can just throw stuff in. There's no litter yeah. to anything. And I see this one baboon now climbs into the dustbin and disappears down into the hole, obviously scratching <laughs> okay. through the rubbish there. Yeah. And by pure fluke, I mean, I'm standing 30, 40 meters away. Yeah. I take a stone and I throw this thing at at the at the dustbin. Yeah. And I should have been enrolled in a basketball team because that stone went straight into the hole. <laughs> Of this dustbin and, and smacked this baboon Probably smacked him on the head But this baboon rocketed out of this dustbin <laughs> Thinking that something had bit him I mean literally It looked like a cartoon He just shot straight out of this out of this dustbin Landed and he was looking around And he was all angry wanting to hit something But there's nothing to hit Because nothing had attacked him Except something out of the blue It smacked him on the head <laughs> uh, That must have been a sight to see <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well. But, uh, mm. yeah, so, so, so now from, from the top of Salaris Pass, now in and around Cape Town, the agriculture is mostly um, vineyards and, you know, a little bit of vegetables and stuff for the, for the actual city. Yeah. But once you get over those mountains, you're now getting into Grebo, Elgin, um, you know, that area. And this is why I love this, this road trip thing so much. Is that we now, and, and I've got the one, the best one of the whole lot is going to come at the end of the podcast. Oh yeah! But in Elgin, there's an Apple Museum. Apple, an Apple Museum, because we now get over the mountains. And we're we not now, talking
1: about Apple, the laptop.
0: No, we're talking stuff. about Munch Munch Apple. <laughs>
1: <laughs> munch Munch Apple. <laughs> That's a good one.
0: And. As you get over the mountains, you're now hitting the deciduous fruit area. So it's your apples, your peaches, your pears. Yeah. And there's orchards all over the place. And there's a little apple museum. And it's only it's one of two apple museums in the world. We got one in South Africa. Okay. And it's the whole history of the apple and fruit industry, where it comes from. You know, how how it works, how the harvest work, and that kind of stuff. And it's just a, it's just a cool little interlude you know an apple museum nobody thinks yeah. you're going to have an apple museum yes so ah, where are we at <laughs> so when, once, once you pass there the road starts taking you now that that area just between there, there's there's all sorts of little pans and dams and lakes and flays so it's a very and that's, that's where most of the water for cape town comes from yeah. as well through those hottentot holland mountains and then you start going down through through um, bot river and now you start the end of the of the wine areas and your ne- your next stop is um In in Caledon. Oh, yes. Now, Caledon is one of those little towns that you don't ever really stop in. It's kind of a dusty, dirty little neglected town. Okay. And the highway doesn't really go into town as such. Yeah. But... If you bother to go into town There's two little museums in there There's the Constitution Street House Museum And it's one of the old Victorian Victorian houses there That you can go in And have a look And you've got the old Masonic Lodge It's no longer a Masonic Lodge But you can go in there and, And have a look at that as well Most people just shoot Straight through Caledon But you're now really In the Overberg Area And you're your countryside is changing. The landscape is changing. The yes. the the crops are, are changing. Mm-hmm. And you're now starting to hit the wheat and the canola fields. Okay. And again, it's some of the most spectacular scenery, especially if you're doing it late afternoon and that sun is setting and you get the most beautiful golden sunset that come in over those canola fields. The canola oh, fields wow, have got yeah. those fantastic... Beautiful little yellow flowers, that in in that in that late, in that late afternoon, is just some of the most spectacular um, <coughs> colors that 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 you that you can get. And the wheat as well, especially when 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 the harvest is coming in, it looks like a Van Gogh painting when the patterns as those harvesters are going through and you see these yes. massive circles and these stripes in those wheat fields it is some of the most spectacular spectacular scenery that you've got but once once you've hit gone gone through that area your the next real sort of main town that you're going to get to is a spot called Swellendam oh yes now Swellendam also lies in a beautiful beautiful area just at the bottom of the Zierberg or the Zierberg range. And it is one of our most historic towns in South Africa. In fact, it's our third oldest town in the country. The first, the oldest being Cape Town, the second one being Stellenbosch and then eventually Swellendam. Now, 1743 Swellendam was established. Now, you know, you've got Cape Town settled, you've got Stellenbosch settled. Now the Cape Colony is expanding, and the farmers are now going over. They've got the de- they found the halfway decent route over the Sir Lowry's Pass. Yes. So tr- trade routes are opening and stuff. So t- they're trading with the Khoisan. They're trading with the Khoi for cattle and sheep, and the farmlands are starting to expand. Yes. So the governor governor by the name um, Hendrik Holy. Just an interesting little side words. about him. He was the first. <laughs> South African-born governor. Every single other governor before him was an import from oh, Europe. Yeah. He was the first guy actually born in South Africa to actually wind up governing, well, not yeah. South Africa, but the the, 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 the Cape Settlement. Yes. We can't call it a Cape Colony because it wasn't a colony. It was a settlement. And his wife was Helena Tendammer. So from Swellen and and uh, Tendammer, you wind uh, up with Swellen Okay. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and it was used at the time by a lot of famous explorers, William John Birchall, then Birchall Zebra, Birchall Kukul, a lot of birds and animals and things are named after Birchall. He used that as a staging post on his journeys to the north. Some of the most beautiful Africana prints and paintings and stuff come from him. Okay. Lady Anne Barnard went there. Francois LeVeylant went through there. They all used that. And... Swellendam actually became the spot on the eastern frontier for basically everything. It was the only decent town that was there. And by 1795, now, Swellendam, 1743, now you're talking 50 years later. By 1795, the Dutch East India Company was in a lot of trouble. Yes. They were basically going bankrupt. The maladministration and the lack of control was causing all sorts of drama. That Swellendam actually declared itself a republic. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so on the 17th of June 1795, they declared themselves a republic. Hermanus Stein just, just decides that he's now the chief in charge of okay. the Republic of, of Swellendam. The burghers of Swellendam call themselves um, national burghers, sort of okay. almost after the style of the French Revolution. Yes, yes. But the 4th of November the Cape is occupied by the British. Yes. So their little republic only lasted from June to November. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not a big stretch. That's eh? <laughs> not yeah. a hell of a run for, for a republic. But with the takeover of the British, and I mentioned the, 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 the Barrys before, the Barrys came in with that new British occupation, and yeah. the company they set up became almost its own country And it started there in Swellendam. We mentioned the Berries when we were chatting about um, Adam Cook and his own currency up in the Eastern Cape. And we tied it in with Orania and their own currency. The Berries also had their own currency and little promissory notes and stuff. Their, Their enterprise was so big that farmers would go to the local shop and get a promissory note instead of cash. Okay, and the note yes. would be worth X amount of money that yeah. would then get turned into, uh, into products. Or they would get a couple of promissory. And then you could go to the local tavern and buy a beer with your promissory note. So it doesn't affect okay. its, its own kind of money.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So do you think we should quickly go for a break? And yeah, unless we just want to point.
1: finish off. Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's quickly finish over that.
0: Because Swellendam is one of those is one of those towns that has got an incredible collection of historical buildings because it's one of the oldest towns. Now, uh, there's something like 50 or 16 provincial and national sites, but a lot of them is just a house. It's, of, it's a privately owned house and is yeah. now a historical monument. So, you know, you can't really go in and look at it. Yeah. But the drive through Swellendam is, is a fantastic little drive You've got a, the most beautiful Dutch Reformed church in town. And it's kind of interesting because I'm not an architect and also not an artist kind of guy. But they say I think there's something like seven different building styles in this in, church. And you've got oh. Gothic and you've got Arabian and you've got Cape Dutch and you've got British and I don't know what else is in this church. So it's all Wow, of okay. different <laughs> building sites. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds
0: interesting. And again, a funny little part of history. P.W. Porter. Remember him, old P.W. Yeah, yeah. Boerter? He was he was married in that church in Swellendam, oh, and his okay, father-in-law, wow. the reverend, was the minister of the congregation. Uh, <laughs> okay, there's some. <laughs> You've got people, a yeah. King George, a King George <laughs> Memorial in in Swellendam now. George, ah, uh, yeah, he was he was King of the United Kingdom and all the British dominions, Emperor of India. And he reigned from 1910 to 1936. So he was, therefore, actually king of South Africa. Yeah. Because 1910, South Africa became a union. After the anglo Boer War, da-da-da, that's when all four colonies were amalgamated into the union of South Africa. So George was actually the first king or sovereign of South Africa. He was grandson of Queen Victoria. Yeah. And he must have had a hell of a... Hell of a because I mean, he saw the rise of socialism, saw the rise of communism, saw the rise of fascism. He 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 ran through the whole Irish rebellion in in the United Kingdom. He lived through the First World War, and he was the guy that changed the British family name to Windsor. Oh, okay. So interesting character, That's and we've got a little monument to him in Swellendam. Dam, and he was also the father of Edward the Eighth the guy who eventually abdicated because he wanted to marry Wallace Simpson. Okay. So this guy had one heck of a run. You've got two other fantastic museums in Swellendam, the old jail, the old gold, and you can okay. see the old shackles in the wall. You can see where they would whip the, the, the prisoners and then yeah. the dog hole, and there's a nice little courtyard highlighting some of the, the local artisans and that kind of stuff. And then you also got... What the old Drosde? Now the dros Day is the home of the dros That's where the name dros Day oh, comes from. Okay. So it's the magister's residence, and it's the oldest building in town. 1747. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful house. It's in the shape of a, of an H. Now the building style is actually very very simple at that stage because your house size was determined by how big a tree you could find. Oh. So if you could find a lacquer long yellow wood or some indigenous tree of a long straight tree trunk, yeah. you would cut that part and then you'd measure that and you would build the two support walls to support your main roof beam. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's interesting. And and that, that <laughs> determined it. So your next part of the building would then be, you've got like the legs, say, and then your next part of the building, if you wanted a bigger house, you would add another structure to the side of it, but at 90 degrees. Oh, so then you'd okay. get a T, yes. and your third part would then be the na- on the other side, which would be then make it into an ah. H. And all of those determined by the size of tree you could find to make your main support roof beam yeah. on the two support walls. Because the support walls, well, again, wouldn't be strong enough to have two massive roof beams on it. The masonry yeah. and stuff wasn't strong enough. So you had to build support walls for each part of the roof beam. Okay. Beautiful museum that you can go into there again. The old furniture and the paintings and the pottery and the stuff in there it's just it's just so so lacquer to get in there and one little memorial that people don't really know about in Swellendam is actually just outside a town um, just on, on a road called the R322 and that's the old VOC Outer post memorial now the VOC had to have little guard houses and little guard posts on the trading routes and on these yes. little areas and there's a tiny little lost forlorn memorial out there. And you, and again you're talking you're talking late seventeen hundreds and this little outpost existed between seventeen thirty and seventeen ninety one. Wow. And you can only imagine two guys or three guys, soldiers, mercenaries, security guys from the VOC being posted yeah. there. Their job is to control the trade going over that little river and up into the mountains between yes. the between the, the the populace of the of the Cape Colony and the the Khoi and the Khoisan. Yes. And these guys, seventeen hundred, there's three of them in the middle of nowhere, no communication with anybody. They've got to collect the toll and the taxes and stuff. And you just go, wow. You know, that's yeah. that has to be like one of the most one of the <laughs> Most lonely jobs on the, on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Just sit at some godforsaken little outpost there in the mountains. Yeah. Beautiful scenery. Yeah. You know, it's stunning scenery, but I mean, at that stage, there's little lions and elephants and things running around, and yes. you, uh, you go outside at night, you don't know if some guy's going to put an arrow into you because he doesn't like you.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose there's someone that comes along every now and again to collect the toll. Yeah. uh, Yeah. They get relieved with new guys or something. Get relieved with new
0: guys or something. But yeah, when you put yourself in that situation, you look at this, you just you just gotta go, wow. Yeah. And then the the other the other very cool part of of Swellendam is just outside town you got one of our more unusual national parks, the Bontebock National Park. And that's a species of buck indigenous to the Cape. Yeah. And uh, found nowhere else in the world. Yeah. So it's a relative of the blessed book that we get up here on the high felt, but the colouring oh, yes. is slightly different. So somewhere along the line, this the population got separated from the one up on the high felt, and they stopped into breeding. Yeah. So the coloration and stuff is just ever so slightly different in the in there. So again, the Bontebook Park, beautiful scenery, protects some essential parts of that Runostafelt vegetation down there, which is under a lot of yeah. threat because of all the farming. The farming is plowing up all the indigenous vegetation, Yes. and there's just not enough of it left. So your insects, your reptiles, and all that stuff is coming under threat. So the mm-hmm. Bontebok National Park is a vital part of keeping keeping that little ecosystem going. Yes. So let's hit, let's hit your music. What are you going to okay. play for us? Talking about VOC and Cape Town, in the end too.
1: Oh, I didn't really <laughs> load up anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> I just thought I'm just gonna play some nice country
0: for us. There you
1: go. feeling all right when the sun sinks down. Okay, and we are back on the road trip show here on Radio Eco Health. Uh Diedrich, let's carry on.
0: Okay, so we, we're traveling along the N2 and we're now hitting little towns, you're going through Riversdale, and an a very, very interesting little part here is just off the N2, where the where the N2 intersects with the road that goes down to a little place called Stillby. Oh, yes, Stillby, I know. Stillby very 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 popular holiday holiday spot. It's the R three oh five. Just off that intersection. ...is an Anglo-Boer War monument. And it was unveiled on the 12th of September 2001. And that is exactly 100 years after the Battle of Stilby was fought. And the Battle of Stilby was the most southerly battle of the Anglo-Boer War. Oh,
1: I didn't even know there was a battle
0: there. Yeah. And it just shows you how mobile (coughs) and how active those Boer Commandos were on horseback that they penetrated literally down to the southern coast of the Cape. Yeah. And look, the the battle is still by, wasn't he? It wasn't a a massive battle. But the Boer Commander under Conan Jan Teron, the Riversdale mounted troops, the Riverdale Town Guards, and a little contingent of British soldiers. Okay. You know, so it's just to me, it's mind blowing that the Anglo Boer War, you're talking about a British invasion that comes up through KZN, through Bloemfontein, through Muffer King, you're yeah. talking about all those major battles literally a thousand kilometers away. Yeah. And yet, a Boer-mounted commando manages to penetrate all the way down to the Cape. down Down to this little spot um, near Bay.
1: Yeah, but that's one
0: huge achievement. That's a (laughs) massive, massive achievement. And one or two of these stories, and I don't know if it was this particular commando, but there was another commando that Jan Smuts was actually part of, who were actually at some stage on a railway line, also somewhere en route to Cape Town or somewhere, And they actually watched the train, and I think it was with with Lord Kitchener, go past them. And they regretted that ever since they didn't blow that train up. (laughs) (laughs) But they were very worried. Mm. They were tired, cold, hungry. They didn't have enough supplies. So they thought they'd rather not sort of advertise their presence. Mm. But the Boers and the Boer commanders penetrated this far south. And that little spot there just amazes me um, how far south that actually is. And then your next little town there is a little place called Albertinia. Now, Albertinia is a tiny little town. It's got a beautiful Dutch Reformed church. But you're now in a kind of unique industry in a unique area in South Africa because this is where they produce aloe vera. Oh,
1: yes, yes.
0: And in Albertinia is a whole collection of little shops and spots there where you can go and buy aloe products so if you on if you're en route there and I mean they make absolutely everything from aloes and the aloe yeah. is an interesting plant it's it's a it's a natural um, antiseptic and it's a natural sun cream yeah, so for those of you ever lost in the bush in the desert and you're burning to death, find an aloe and yeah. you actually smear the aloe sap on you yes, and it's a sun it's a sun cream it's a it's a fantastic anti sunburn lotion and it's an antiseptic.
1: Yeah, I actually poured uh, boiling water over my hand, and we have one of those in the garden, and we went and fetched and put it on. <laughs> yeah, it works.
0: It works, and they, there's there's absolutely everything. I mean, there's aloe teas and lotions and potions and creams and pills and yeah. cold drinks and all sorts of stuff. Cold drinks, mm-hmm. as yeah, well. yeah. Aloe, you can buy oh. aloe juice. It tastes right. terrible. <laughs> I tried it. It tastes it tastes absolutely terrible. It look it looks it looks it looks like uh, I like like an appetizer. Okay, but it doesn't taste like it. I know it was, it was terrible. Not 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 for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's got a lot of medical applications, I suppose. Yeah, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> then of course your next, the next sort of highlight on that route. Now we're heading in towards Mossel Bay. Now we've spoken about Mossel Bay before, where Diaz landed. But you then you've then got the the Chowritz River Bridge, which is one of the one of the landmarks. It's a kind of kind of spectacular bridge 279 long 279 meters long it's like one of these iron rigid frame bridges but you oh, yeah. It's one of the spots where you can bungee jump yes it's yes. not the highest one the, the <laughs> highest one is a little bit further along at Storms River but it is one of the spots where where you can where you can bungee jump and that that particular bridge holds i don't know if it's a funny memory or a rather weird memory for me as well i've spoken about the fact that we did these camping tours yeah. Where you're on this big coach, 60-seater coach, and you've got 35, 40 people, and we had this massive horse box trailer thing. Oh, yes, yes. And one of the very first tours we did, we, we, you come down this hill, and you hit the bridge, and then you accelerate up out the other side. Yeah. And we've just gone up the other side, and the bus driver called me, and says, says, I said, yeah, he says, I don't see the trailer anymore. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean you don't see the trailer? He says the shadow of the trailer's gone. I always watch the shadow of the trailer, but the shadow of the trailer's gone. <laughs> so I go, no, come on. He says, no, seriously. Okay, stop, let's have a look. So he stops the coach, and myself and him and my helper guy get out the coach and it, it must yeah. have looked like Laurel and Hardy. Because <laughs> we get to the back of the coach. Yeah. And the trailer is gone. But you stand there, and you can't comprehend what you are actually seeing. <laughs> You're supposed to have this, like, 10-ton trailer horse box thing standing there, and it's gone. And we yeah. literally looked left. We looked right. We looked up. We looked down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, and it's just bizarre. Like, this thing's maybe it's floating or something. Yeah. And, and this trailer was gone. <laughs>
1: Did it you was find gone.
0: It? And... We sort of go walk back on the roads. I get on the coach and say, Hey guys, our our trailer's gone. We need to go look for our trailer. (laughs) The clients are going, What do you mean it's gone? It's gone. We backtrack a little bit. Then we see the tracks on the road where it had fallen off the bus and the jockey wheel had hit the road. Now you've got like 10 tons now cruising on its own at like 60, 70 kilometers an hour. I mean, that's a scary thought. And you can see the track, the little snake thing over the tar, and then it disappears off down to the left. And there we look, and there's the trailer about 150 meters off in the in the canola fields, <laughs> still upright. It managed to stay on its wheels, thank goodness. Gee, was uh, I wonder and, what happened? Even. And no, what had yeah. happened is the tow hitch on the coach. Yeah. Hadn't been fastened properly. properly. The guys had fastened uh-huh. it, but not with high tensile bolts, with normal mild steel bolts. Oh. Yeah, stupid. Stupid, stupid rookie mistake by some, yeah. some mechanic somewhere. And the, <laughs> you know, the pressure of that bus accelerating and yanking the pressure yeah. on that tow hitch snapped all the bolts. And the trailer then went off on its own merry way and took its <laughs> own tour into the, into the canoe <laughs> it, took, it took four tow trucks to get that thing out of there.
1: Four
0: uh, It took four tow trucks to get that trailer out of there.
1: Oh, <laughs> my word.
0: <laughs> so every time I go over that Gouders River Bridge, I remember looking yeah. for yeah. my 10-ton trailer there. <laughs> and how stupid we must have looked, looking left and right and up and down for this trailer <laughs> that had just suddenly vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just... <laughs> no, crazy, crazy, oh crazy way. stuff. <laughs> but you know, you're not know, heading into, you know, into Mossel Bay. Now, Mossel Bay is one of those spots you've got to visit at some stage. You've got to go to the Diaz Museum, the Shell Museum, the old post office tree. That's a fantastic yeah. little shopping spot as well. But your next your next spot up, up the road there is now Hartenbos. Oh yes. Artenbos. Now Hartenbos is again a super popular little holiday spot. The beach there in that bay, in the bay from Mosel Bay through Hartenbos is spectacular. It's just yeah. a bit cold, but it's spectacular. And there's a Fortricker museum. Footricker museum in in Hartenbos, run by the Atia Kafia. Afrikaner Taal and Kultuur Vereniging.
1: Okay. Have yes. a foot
0: have a Fortrique museum there. But to me, one of those little hidden gems that only a weird country like South Africa can produce (laughs) is there's a little museum above a laundromat. Above a laundromat? Above a laundromat. laundromat, Okay. And it is called the Janine Iron and Washing Museum. (laughs) Okay. And it's ironic that it's on top of... (laughs) and washing museum it has got 640 rare and unique laundry irons in it oh my word <laughs> as okay. well as about 50 rare weird and old antique washing machines and what are called mangles okay i still remember my mother had a mangle which was they had this t- this tub washing machine and then you had to take the clothes and you put it through those rollers oh yes? those hand rollers to squeeze the water out Oh my word! There's a museum in Hertenbos for irons and washing machines. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> okay, but that must be interesting. <laughs> to off see the wall! As far as we know, it is the only one in existence in the world with wow. a collection of hand laundry irons and washing machines. Wow! That is, yeah, I know that is a hidden uh, gem. Yeah, it's it's one say. of those weird ones <laughs> that just pops out, and yeah, sorry, can't explain that. Some guy got excited about irons and washing machines and made it made a museum.
1: <laughs> almost, oh my word! I see you almost out of time We're again. Almost
0: out of time, but <laughs> yes, let's. I've gonna, got to, I've got to tell. I've got to tell our listeners that dear won a. Singing competition over the weekend. Oh, yeah, we're extremely yeah. proud of him, and just again, it sort of fits in with the theme of, of a couple of weird and wonderfuls. <laughs> in that South Africa's also got a couple of music monuments. Oh, okay, yes, and the one is obviously the lady in white in Durban. Okay, the lady in white who that's the lady who serenaded the. The troops that, that that left, yes, that's right, um, for overseas service. Then we've actually got a Buddha music monument. Okay, I bet you didn't know that. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, so that's for the English we've, listeners. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, our folk music. We've got basically. a Buddha music monument <laughs> out in the in the northwest. We've got a monument to Brenda fussy Oh yes, yes. She's one of our more famous singers. And we've got one, and I'm just trying to trying to remember exactly what it was. To the let me let me let me just do a quick search on this one because it's a really really funny one. Okay. <laughs> and it's a it's a monument. To a brass band.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And Emil, Emil, literally found it, found it last week. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just, and I'm just looking at this and I'm going, I wonder if at some point we're not going to have a little monument to you.
1: <laughs> uh, well, maybe who knows? Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, South Africa, what can I say? We hit these funny little mm. monuments. We've got a, a museum for irons and washing machines. We've got a Bura Kess monument. We've got monuments to our own language. I think yeah. at last count we had 13, I think it was. Yes. I think I think we hit 13. I don't think we found more than that at this point. Yeah. But uh,
1: <laughs> when did, uh, Where did you find that last one that... Uh
0: that was that was recently in, wasn't it? that was up in the northern cape. Oh my word, what was that little town called again? It was
1: And that was recently.
0: Yeah, that was that was when I did, did my trip up the west coast and was coming back up through yeah. Busman Lunt, and I took those dirt roads up through the yes. middle of nowhere and there's some little town there. Oh my <laughs> word, what was that place? Ah it was it was a dead and forgotten little spot somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, so those those kind of little hidden gems, those funny little spots, and little little museums and things like this. We even yeah. at, at some point we we'll even get to the. We've even got a cowboy museum in South Africa.
1: Oh wow! I want to go there. <laughs> I really want to go there because <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll you know go. I love
1: country <laughs> yeah. and
0: that type yeah. of thing. Yeah, we've so. even got a cowboy museum, and I thought I thought that one might appeal to you as well. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but yeah, that looks like time up.
1: Yeah, well, that was awesome. And, yeah, all those uh, music museums and uh, the iron and washing machines. Yeah. (laughs) And I must uh, find out about this cowboy museum. I'll I'll have to go look it up somewhere. But, yeah, awesome, Uh, Diedrich. Thanks. That was uh, wonderful again. And I think I'm going to cut out the stories I'll well, not cut it out, but I'm going to put, uh, l- put it apart.
0: The Amersfoort Brass Band Monument. Amersfoort. In Amersfoort. Ah, okay.
1: Okay, well, uh, that is the end of the show for today. And hope you guys enjoyed it and we're gonna play out with some music hope you guys enjoy back it To a two-tone short vest Chevy driving my first love out to the levee living life with no sense of time I go back to the feel of a 50-yard line a blanket of girls some raspberry wine fishing time would stop right in its track.